Welcome to Get Connected. I'm Mike Agarbo, your host. I've got a great show for you today. We've uh, got uh, our contributing host, uh, Christina Stoyanova, who's in studio uh, for our first segment about the opioid crisis and an app that is helping law enforcement down in the U.S., uh, deal with that. We'll also be uh, talking with some uh, folks that I met up at the London Drugs Tech Conference up in Whistler this week. It's uh, a preview they do every fall about uh, all the new tech coming uh, this holiday season. They uh, train all their managers about what's hot and uh, how it all uh, kind of integrates into our lives. And uh, we've got some great guests, everything from whole home Wi-Fi systems. We're going to talk about camcorders uh, as well. No, they're not dead yet. Also, whole room uh, audio systems uh, and a 360-degree camera that uh, is kind of futuristic, but it's here now, so you'll want to stay tuned for that. But up first, uh, we have a really important uh, topic. We've uh, got our guest uh, on the line. His name is uh, Jeff Beeson. He's the Deputy Director of the Washington-Baltimore High-Intensity Drug Trafficking uh, Area. And they have uh, developed a, a new app that can actually track uh, opioid overdoses in real time. Thanks for coming on the show, Jeff. That's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I wanted to get you on the program. Uh, I read a, a really interesting article on, on what you're doing down there. You guys have an app that actually maps uh, opioid overdoses in real time. Tell our listeners how this works, Jeff. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so, so the application, uh, the program that we developed, it's uh, it, it, it's sort of an app, but it's also a, a mobile website. Um, and basically, we saw a problem in that there is a lack of information sharing between public health and public safety officials. Um, disparate groups are collecting overdose information in a variety of ways, but they're not really taking advantage of technology to make their jobs easier. Um, so we said, you know what? Let's let's put a program together that gets first responders, fire police, EMS, professionals that are in the field responding to an overdose. Let's give them a tool so that when they're responding, they can, at the click of a button, log an overdose, the type, and whether or not some type of naloxone or Narcan has been administered to revive that victim. And we want to have them be able to do it in two seconds, no more, just very quickly. And then that information will populate on a back-end map database that public health chiefs, public safety chiefs, Anybody can jump in, take a look, and be able to track overdoses as they're occurring in real time. And further, we wanted to set up a, uh, an alert protocol so that if a specific region has a spike, that that notification would go out via email to these officials, and they can let the community know and have some type of a response protocol, hopefully to prevent future loss of life or to get a handle on what's happening right now. I want to dig into that further, but let's just step back a second. How big is the opioid uh, crisis down in your area? Uh, in the U.S., I'll tell you, this, this past year, over 60,000 fatalities. Uh, our, our fatal incidents have increased by 19% since last year. Uh, it is the number one cause of accidental death for individuals under the age of 50, surpassing car accidents. Um, it's a crisis. We are literally at a crisis point. And I'll tell you, there's some reasons for that. You know, drugs are getting stronger. They're getting more potent. And more importantly, synthetics like fentanyl are continuing to enter our communities. And, and, and they're being infused in other drugs, and, and they're killing people. 
and, and it's these synthetics and the infusion uh, of these, you know, into the into the drug supply that, that really has us all worried. And we know we need to take a different approach to this. Uh, our law enforcement partners all agree we can't arrest our way out of this. Our, our public health partners agree it's impossible to have enough resources to treat our way out of this. So we really need to come together and, and, and attack this problem differently than we have before. And, and we need, you know, in any good protocol, we need real information. And, and we need to be sort of operating out of the same uh, protocol, the same playbook, so that we're, we're looking at the same data and responding, uh, you know, sort of uh, commensurately along across the board. Everybody has the same plan to attack this. How did you even get this started? Like, what was, you know, the starting point for this? It's not easy just to get everyone on board and, and create this, this type of app. Well, I'll tell you, uh, you know, we have the HIDA program, right, High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area Program, and this is a uh, federally authorized program that supports law enforcement agencies throughout the U.S. Um, and, and what it means is we often find ourselves not only in law enforcement meetings, but because we're trying to address the drug threat, we are always at public health meetings. And uh, it was one such meeting here in our area in Maryland, uh, in Baltimore City, and we were speaking with the public health chief. And, and, and the health chief was lamenting the fact that they really did not have a good handle on what's going on. And, and that's really the case that we find across jurisdictions is, yeah, we're tracking fatalities, right? We, we, know, we know after months of, you know, ME reports and they do tox screens, we, we confirm that it's a fatal overdose. We have that data. So at the end of the month, at the end of the year, at the end of the quarter, we have numbers of fatalities. But we're not tracking non-fatal overdoses, not the way we should. And more importantly, we're not tracking them across jurisdictions. So we know that there are areas that have a high supply, high fatality rate, high overdose rate. And then we have neighboring counties that may have a lesser rate, but they're dramatically impacted by those other areas. So if we're not sharing information across jurisdictions, we're not going to be able to make an impact. So in this meeting, our director, Tom Carr, was there, and he sort of said, you know what, let's just go back and build something. Let's make an app. Let's make something that's easy for our first responders to use in the field in real time. And he came back to us and he said, you know what, uh, you got 30 days, build it, right? <laughs> 30, 30 days. <laughs> 30 days. And, and we sort of, you know, laughed, but then we said, yeah, we can do this. And, you know, we're incredibly lucky here. We've got a, a team of, uh, of IT professionals and architects that are, that are just incredibly skilled, and they built the program. And we met the 30-day deadline, and, and we've rolled it out. And I'll tell you, you know, we've tweaked it along the way. Uh, but we've been recognized for taking a very simple approach. You know, we, we weren't trying to create uh, the perfect, uh, you know, the perfect machine to, to accommodate everybody's needs. Uh, we created something that works, and, and folks can change their policies slightly, uh, change their protocols, and, and now all of a sudden they have a tool which on the law enforcement side gives, gives, gives an, you know, an investigator, an analyst, a detective an opportunity to follow the trail of drugs and to use it as a tool for investigative purposes. But more importantly, on the public health side, now officials have a chance to react in real time. That sounds great. Now, obviously, the power of something like this is in adoption rates. What types of adoption rates are you seeing across other jurisdictions of this app? So we, we had a slow rollout. Um, we began in um, uh, a small area within our area of responsibility um, in uh, two counties in West Virginia. One county in Maryland was where we started, and we did that back in January. And we used those three counties as a pilot, and we carried that through um, uh, really to May. And then in May, we began opening it up to, uh, to, to other states and other jurisdictions. And we've kind of spent this summer working, you know, slowly but surely, 
to, to expand it. And we've really gained a lot of traction. We're now live in uh, 19 states. Uh, we have over 90 different county agencies that are actively contributing data to the system. So these would be first responders, sheriff's offices, fire, EMS. They're in the field. They're putting data into the system. And then we have another 185 agencies on the back end that are actively engaging with the information. They're either viewing the map, they're either getting the weekly reports, they're pulling and extracting their own reports, or they're getting email updates when spikes occur. And, and, and that notification prompts them uh, for a response. So yeah, I would say over the past two months, the, the growth has been incredible. Um, and, and we've done a lot of demonstrations uh, nationwide. So, and I should say in Canada, we did one in the Waterloo region uh, a few months back. Very cool. Uh, obviously, I, I imagine the overall goal with this would be to save lives. How, how would you measure something like that? So, you know, that's, that's, there's a lot of different ways that we've talked about looking at this. And, and what we're doing is um, the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC here in the U.S., uh, we've got a meeting coming up with them, and we're bringing some of our stakeholders together uh, to talk about a protocol and to talk about what success would look like. And, and these are our public health partners. You know, we're the law enforcement side and they're our public health side. Um, we're looking at individual areas, and we're saying, okay, what is the rate of response for our paramedics, Right. So from this data, can we help them do a better job? Can we help them maximize their resources and create some efficiencies? Um, and, and the way we're doing it is, again, uh, at, at the micro level, we're saying, okay, what are your run rates on times of, of high overdose reportings, right? So we know it's typically on the weekends and at night. So if you've got a run or a response rate and, you know, it's 25 minutes, 30 minutes, and you've got a higher rate of fatalities than a neighboring county where they have a 10- or a 15-minute rate, can this data help you adjust your staffing to make sure that you reduce your response rates during those peak times. And here all of a sudden now you have the data. So that's, a, that's, a, that's something where we're looking at at the micro level. Macro, can we impact communications? And that's the biggest thing. You'd be surprised how many times we go to a public health chief at a local jurisdiction and we say, hey, have you met and spoken with your counterpart on the law enforcement side, whether it's a, a sheriff, a police department, or something like that, and they haven't. And they haven't discussed this issue at all. If we can create a system, and this map is that system for them to communicate, break down those silos, and do it effortlessly, then we know we've succeeded. So in, in taking a look at the micro level, at some of that micro level analysis, and how do we deploy our resources appropriately, and then the macro level, breaking down communications barriers, you know, ultimately we believe that that rate of fatality will decrease. And this will just be a tool. This is just a component. Um, but in my opinion, getting good data, having accurate data in real time, is, is the most important thing we can do right now to set the stage for how we respond to this epidemic. Jeff, uh, really love what you're uh, doing with this uh, web app. And again, we're talking uh, with Jeff Beeson. He's the Deputy Director of the Washington-Baltimore High-Intensity Drug Trafficking Area. Uh, they're using an app that they've created called uh, OD Map, uh, a web app that tracks opioids, overdoses in real time. And uh, it'd be great to see this rolled out in, in many more states and even provinces. Uh, is there any place that people can find out more information about this, Jeff? Yeah, we've got some information on our website. Uh, it's www.hidta.org backslash ODMAP. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about camcorders. Yes, I know a lot of people think camcorders are dead, but you can get some fantastic footage. We're going to be talking with the folks over at Sony about what's new and all the great things you can do with uh, some of their devices. Stay tuned. 
You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. We still have a lot more to talk about. As I had mentioned, uh, I have been up in Whistler this week to the London Drugs Tech Conference learning about all the hot new gear coming up for holiday season. Later on in the program, we'll talk about home Wi-Fi systems that give you perfect internet no matter what corner of uh, the house or condo that you're in. And we'll also uh, be chatting about 360-degree cameras and multi-room audio systems that work with all kinds of devices. But right now, I wanted to talk about camcorders. Are they dead yet? No, not so fast. I'm here with Patrick Chen from uh, Sony. And Patrick, uh, I wanted to talk camcorders because uh, uh, I think a lot of people think camcorders are kind of dead now because, you know, we've got our smartphones and a lot of these point-and-shoots and DSLRs, they take fantastic video. But camcorders, uh, especially 4K ones, mm-hmm. are, are still very relevant. Yeah, they are. So there's a few benefits to actually shooting with a dedicated camcorder. One, the form factor is actually more conducive to shooting video than your typical cell phone or camera or DSLR. Uh, Second thing too is there's no recording limit when it comes to a video camera. You're probably used to having a 29 minute a recording limit with your cell phones or your your cameras or your point and shoots, uh, but with a 4K camera dedicated one, there's no recording limit. There's a recording limit on my smartphone. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's actually if you pass if you're at 30 minutes recording time, if you're able to do that, your cell phone, your cameras are now ca- classified as camcorders. And in certain parts of the world, there's more tariffs associated with that so as well. there's more tax on that. There's more tax on it. Makes on it more it. expensive. That's yeah, interesting. Exactly. Uh, so you've uh, you've got a 4K camera. So obviously, mm-hmm. with 4K, uh, the the quality is much higher than traditional HD. Yeah, actually, four times higher. Yeah. So you, if you were talking about a megapixels, which a lot of people understand, your HD pictures a little over two million pixels, like two megapixels. But on a 4K picture, one still frame, you're over eight million pixels. So if you just think of that way, you get four times more pixels on the screen at one time. So you get much sharper images, much clearer picture. So I think that's actually, to your point, that's one of the reasons why there's a revitalization of uh, 4K camcorders. You know, like a lot of cam- cameras and, uh, and cell phones can do very good HD and 4K to some extent as well. But um, a lot of people want to record your videos for posterity. And uh, in our brand new camera, well not, our, our new AX53, uh, we're able to use what's called a full pixel readout on that sensor there. So you get much sharper 4K images and a much more accurate colors as well. So you have those great video clips for your future, right? Well, that's a, a good point because a lot of people say, well, I don't have a 4K TV right now. But one day you will. <laughs> so why not get the best quality when you're recording your memories? Because eventually in the future, in the next few years, uh, when you want to have the best quality, playing on a new TV that you got? Exactly. Doesn't that sound very familiar to you? Because I remember maybe about 15 years ago, I was much younger at the time and I was selling in retail and I heard this all the time. Like, I don't have an HD TV. I don't really know many people that do. Why do I want a HD camcorder? Well, if you were one of those people that said that in the past, you most likely bought standard definition camcorder instead of HD. Yeah. Now all that footage that you record of your kids growing up, your vacations at Disneyland or, or special moments like that. Yeah, two bad kids. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to talk about uh, image st- stabilization. Yes. Um, you know, a lot of <clears throat> smartphones have built-in optical uh, stabilization, but tell, tell us about the camcorder. Is it, is it better? 
Uh, yes, it is actually. So uh, optical stabilization is very, very good. You'll, you'll definitely stabilize your image, but there's only so much that you can do with an optical stabilizer, a traditional optical stabilizer. Uh, a lot of people these days have DSLRs and, 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 and great point shoots, and they're used to a technology called a gimbal. It's an extra piece of equipment that they attach their, their recording device to, and it really stabilizes their, their image. Well, actually, our higher-end camcorders in our entire lineup, they feature something called a BOSS system, a balanced optical steady shot, and essentially you can think of it as a mini gimbal inside the camera. And why that's important is that with a traditional optical stabilizer, you move one element in there to stabilize your whole image, but there's only so much you can move it without affecting the optical integrity of the entire lineup. The whole lineup is your lens elements and then the sensor. In our system, we move the entire assembly, so lens and sensor all in conjunction with each other. So we have a much wider range we can move it and, um, and also stabilize those high frequency or low frequency uh, vibrations or, or, or motions, if we want to say. Yeah, so if you're chasing your kids around, you're not going to make people sick watching the video. Exactly. Later. It's going to look smooth. Exactly. And, and what kind of price points are we looking at with these 4K camcorders now? Um, so we have uh, three different models right now for our, our 4K camcorders. We have the AX33, the AX53, and we have the higher end AX100, which is our one-inch sensor. So you're looking at about $1,000 up for our, to get into 4K. Very yeah. cool. Well, thank you for joining us, Patrick. Thank you very much for having me. When we come back from the break, are you tired of not getting internet access to all the different rooms and corners of your house? We've got a system that can solve all your problems. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. As I'd mentioned earlier, I've been uh, up in Whistler this week at the London Drugs Tech Conference. Got some uh, great interviews uh, with some tech experts uh, up there. Going to talk about 360-degree cameras uh, later on in the program and why you'll probably be getting one in the future. Also, uh, multi-room audio systems. Uh, but right now, I want to talk about Internet, and specifically Wi-Fi. We all have uh, Wi-Fi systems in our homes now, but they never seem to reach just far enough to every corner. Well, we've got a system that can solve all of those problems. I've got Rob Richardson here from Netgear. I want to talk about uh, Wi-Fi systems for the home. Uh, I think uh, we all, uh, I guess, really rely on having internet connectivity, uh, Wi-Fi in our homes and, and even our businesses. Uh, but you know, for some places, you don't really get uh, you know all the range that you need. So we've seen a lot of people buying range extenders. But uh, you know, there's new technology called mesh networks, and I want to talk about what you guys have, Orbi. Uh, explain to the listeners what Orbi can do for them in their their home. Well, the bottom line is, Mike, as you alluded to, is that, you know, it doesn't matter whether we live in a 1,600-foot townhome or a 5,600-square-foot mansion. We all have dead spots. Uh, the routers today are really good, but uh, they, they just don't hit every corner. And so, uh, you know, people buy it, have been buying range extensions over the years, and, and range extensions were great, but, you know, the, you have to switch back and forth. And I think, um, yeah, a lot of people don't realize they, that. Like, if the, you have even just one bar of signal from the main router... Um, 
it's not really going to connect to that extender. You have to manually go over to it. That's exactly true. So um, what happens is, uh, you know, people go, oh, these don't work. So fast forward to, you know, to the, to the, the launch, if you will, of the mesh or Wi-Fi systems in, in, in the home market. And this is similar to what we've had corporately uh, with access points for, for years. And so, you know, the, the biggest selling point for Wi-Fi systems today is the fact that you have single SSID roaming. So you can go wherever you want in your home and have, you know, full bars and it goes back and forth it, it, it does all the work for you uh, behind the scenes um, to, to take what satellite needs to be used to give you the Wi-Fi that you that you need. So let's uh, look at the Orbi system. Uh, you typically buy them in a two-pack, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we we our, our system. Some companies sell three packs. We, we you know ours are pretty high end. Uh, you know we're the only company right now that offer an AC three thousand. It's a tri-band, uh, which is really important when it comes to Wi-Fi systems, and I'll I'll talk about that in a second. And um, we you know we we also offer you know multi-user MIMO, so you know you know multiple streams at the same time, which is really important uh, when we have a busy household with multiple devices, as you you know, as you can appreciate, which is so evident in most homes today. So, you know, I wanted to talk about TriBand, as I said. Uh, you know, the, the thing with Orbi that separates us from uh, a lot of our competitors is that um, the, the, one, of the tri one of the bands is, is a dedicated backhaul that, that communicates directly with the router so that the, the internet signal is never interrupted. On a dual band, you're sharing that connection with the router and with multiple devices sucking Wi-Fi away. So that's where we uh, kind of stand out and that's why our, you know our products are so much faster and the reviews are so strong. Well that's interesting. I, I look in my home I've got three teenagers, myself, my wife. Uh, I looked at how many devices I had hooked up to my network. It's 35. Yeah. And you know you don't even realize it's tablets, it's laptops, it's computers, but it's also my wireless uh, music system. It's my TVs. They're G all smart TVs now. Gaming systems. Gaming, you know, like it's it, it, it. I think when people actually do count, they're they're astonished by how many devices because every and 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 Mike, we haven't even started with connected home devices. You know that are coming fast and furious, like whether it be door locks. Um, you know, I've got, uh, that. I've got the Philips Hue lighting. Philips Hue garage door openers, sprinkler systems, like. So every, and and you know your Wi-Fi is the hub to everything connected home, and you, the demand today is for high-end Wi-Fi because we, we spend all the money on our toys and we want to have a great experience with those toys. So uh, you've got a couple different kits. You've got uh, the Orbi kit uh, that has the two in them. There's also one with a little mini. Yeah, so um, one of the things that we've tried to do is, um, you know, I, I think there's a myth out there that only people with large homes have Wi-Fi issues. That, that, that's not true at all. I, I'm sure many of our listeners out there are living in, you know, townhomes or, you know, three-story, 1,600-foot, you know, uh, homes that have dead spots and so um, we offer um, you know our RBK30 product which is um, a, 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 what we call a mini router and um, um, a second satellite that um, gives you 3,500 square feet. We, you know, our RBK50, which is um, our bigger product, which offers coverage for 5,000 square feet. So, you know, and then you can add on satellites. So if you happen to be, you know, somebody that has a, you know, a very large home and w whatever area you want to choose, um, you know, they might want to add an additional satellite to give them even more coverage if they want to get the 7,500 square feet or whatever the case may be. Very cool. Well, uh, people can obviously go to your website to find out more information. Yeah, absolutely. Neckgear.com. Uh, slash Orby. We'll give them lots of information. And um, yeah. Cool. Thanks, Rob. Thank you for having me. When we come back from the break, we're going to be talking about multi-room audio systems that work with all your old gear. Yes, you don't have to throw it away. Stay tuned for that. Also, we'll uh, be chatting about 360-degree cameras and uh, why you might want one uh, in the future.
You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Let's talk multi-room audio systems now. One of the big giants out there is Sonos. They've been very popular over the past 10 years. But there's a group of uh, manufacturers now that have put together a standard that let all sorts of different audio hardware and speakers work together. And uh, we've got an expert to help us understand all of that. Well, I'm here with Brian Erb, the Klipsch man. Uh, tell us about Klipsch. Uh, you guys have been in the music business for many, many years. Yes, Klipsch, uh, we've been around for over 70 years. We've been around since 1946, and we still hand-make speakers in Hope, Arkansas. We're an American company. I, I, yeah, I thought you guys were European, but you are from the U.S. Yes, uh, it's the interesting. You, you hear the name Klipsch, and you automatically you start thinking European, Europe, yeah. and the rest of it. And yet, no, it's uh, an American born and bred company um, that continues to hand-making um, speakers there today. Well, uh, from handmade speakers, you guys are, are looking into the future now. Uh, tell us about uh, your, your wireless uh, uh, system. Yeah, so Klipsch Wireless, what we really realized is that so many people today that grew up with the large tower speakers and the huge receivers and everything else, that's not the way that um, our kids are listening to music. They want to listen to it through their phone, through their connected device. They want to listen to it through headphones. Um, or just a small portable, be it a Bluetooth speaker or, or something small in their room. They're not going to go out and either have the space or the funds to put together a giant home system. So what we looked at is how can we then take what, how people want to listen to their music today and how can we bring them into, um, in, into our world. So we got together with uh, DTS, which is a huge company that does a lot of the audio for um, films that you've seen. They're kind of like a... Um, like a Dolby? Yes, similar yes. To, a, to a Dolby. They're, yeah. they're the one that helps create um, the sound in the background. So we got together with them and a number of other companies, and we created a DTS PlayFi. And DTS PlayFi is basically a software behind the scenes that allows multiple different products to be used as a wireless streaming in and amongst one another. So what we have created is a group of products um, from our company, and then there's a, approximately 50 other companies such as uh, Pioneer, uh, Onkyo, Macintosh, so multiple different companies that we are all using this as our software source to interoperate amongst one another with a wireless multi-room concept. So this PlayFi is a standard uh, that doesn't lock you into one particular brand. So you can get stuff from Klipsch, but also Correct. from Onkyo or any of these other ones that are adhering to it. Absolutely. Um, at the heart of the Klipsch system, um, we have two products. One is called the Gate, and one is called the Power Gate. So with the Gate, I can then take my legacy system, and I can simply plug a 3.5 millimeter audio jack into the back of the Gate, and now I can use my home system that I've had forever to be the source for wireless streaming audio to the rest of my home. Very cool. And so the powered one... Uh... So the power gate um, takes that one step further. Instead of it just being uh, plugging in to be the source, it adds that. Then we actually put in a 100-watt amplifier. We put in a, a DAC. We put in a headphone um, amplifier. We also add, in addition to that, a phono preamp. So I can actually use that 
plug it directly from my phone into the back. I can plug it from a computer that I've downloaded multiple pieces of music in, plug that into the back. So it not only does it become the source, but because it's also a amplifier, I can plug in regular legacy speakers directly into the back of it. So my tower speakers have new life. Your tower speakers have <laughs> new life. Actually, if you have an 8-track with a 3.5mm audio jack, you can use your 8-track and then use that as your streaming for the rest of your home. Dreams do come true. Absolutely. Thank goodness. <laughs> um, and, and this will work with all the streaming services out there, like the Spotify. Correct. And then what have you. So you can take any of the uh, current streaming services and they can be the source and they will go directly into that. Um, it's just absolutely fantastic that suddenly you can take, you don't have to recreate everything that you've done. You can take all of the, the time and money that you've had building that fantastic home theater system and now use that as your source for putting a small speaker in your bathroom, putting speakers in your kitchen, uh, all throughout the rest of your home that you can do that with the streaming. It's just absolutely fantastic. Where can people find out more information? I mean, this is a pretty, uh, pretty cool system. Uh, I'm sure they'd like to delve into that a little more. Please just go online and uh, put you know www.clipsh.ca or clipsh.com and it'll bounce you on over and it's got incredible information. Um, just look at the pull down on wireless multi-room. Thank you very much. Absolutely. When we come back from the break, we are going to talk 360-degree video. There's some uh, new cameras out there that are simply amazing, allowing you to see these 360-degree panoramic videos, not only on social media like Facebook and YouTube, but also on your big screen TV. Stay tuned. Still a little more time left and get connected. I'm your host, Mike Agarbo. want to talk uh, about uh, the future of photography. Here with Gary Collins from Rico Canada, talking about 360 cameras, and you guys have had one out for a while now. The Theta S, I believe, is the model number, and uh, pretty cool camera. It's uh, got, uh, I guess, the two lenses on it, and stitches everything together to create a, a circular or a spherical image, 360 degrees. We're seeing a lot of these things on Facebook and, and YouTube now, but you've got a new model out, the Theta V. Tell our listeners what what's new and exciting. Sure, absolutely. I mean. The Theta V is our fifth generation of the Theta series cameras. Uh, so we've been at this for quite a few years and um, continue to develop and improve them. Theta S uh, is a great camera and was the first one that really uh, took off as a, uh, a device a lot of people are using on Facebook, social media. Um, the Theta V is just an extension of that where we have um, a lot of new features, same form factor, same size camera same 290 degree lenses so you've got the overlap and then stitched together and because the lenses are so close together the stitching quality is excellent there's not a lot of issues with parallax or anything like that the big upgrade on the camera uh, people look at right away is 4k resolution so for video four times the resolution from what we had on the theta s um, the still images uh, same resolution but new sensors um, new algorithms a new snapdragon processor so your, your still image quality, although the resolution is the same, is significantly better. Um, so the, the, the image quality, whether it be video or still, has been improved significantly. But one new feature that, that's great, and it's the first camera like this that has it, is 3D spatial audio. So the idea there is the camera has four microphones built into it. You've got one facing each direction, one up, one down. And that then is able to record in four channels and 
as you're looking at the image, whether it be on your TV or with a VR headset, um, the sound is coming from where you're looking. So if something, a jet plane is flying above you, it sounds like it's above you till you move up and you're looking at it, then it sounds like it's in front of you. So it really creates more of um, the, the reality for VR becomes much more real when the audio is incorporated, not just the visual. So that, that's a big improvement. Um, and the remote playback I mentioned. So the Theta S is great for uploading for social media, but now with the Theta V, they've added a gyro sensor into the camera. So I can now plug it into um, or connect it to my smart TV or use some of the different adapters available. And now I can mirror cast my image from the camera. So you don't have to have a phone or anything. You no, you right go right, the, the images that are in the camera, you could just connect it to your TV. And now you can use your big screen TV with your surround sound to view your holiday images, your birthday images, Christmas, whatever it might be. And, and it really does take it to a whole other level. Like instead of just one kind of static shot or even a video shot, I mean, it's just in one direction. Like this thing is everywhere. I mean, if you're on holiday in a you know a giant cathedral, for example, you can look at everything: the paintings on the ceilings, uh, you know what's happening on the different walls, uh, and even you know for family gatherings as well. Like everyone's in the picture. Absolutely, it's a much more immersive way of uh, of imaging. Really, it's just a new way new way to do imaging, and it's much more immersive. So, as you said, if you're on a holiday. Um, or any event, now I, I'm not just seeing a flat image. I can look up, I can look down, I can look around. It records everything it can see. So it, it does make for a much more immersive type of experience. And the other thing the camera does now is 4K live streaming. So if you have an event and not everyone can attend, they can attend if you're streaming the event um, as you upload it to YouTube and that kind of thing. Uh what are the price points for these cameras now? I know the, the new one's uh, a little more expensive, obviously, because it's 4K and it's yeah. all the spatial audio. And what exactly. Um, so the new one is 549 is the Canadian retail. Which isn't bad for the quality No. Of that. And when you think about it, the Theta S is currently 449 yeah. And the difference is being the 4K video, the new processor, and I should have mentioned the processing is much, much quicker as you're transferring images. The spatial audio, the remote playback, higher shutter speeds, I mean, it goes on and on. So there's a significant upgrade in camera for basically $100 premium on price. So we talked about you know vacations, family gatherings, but what are some business uses for it? Um, I think it's really unlimited. Uh, I've seen a lot of things, whether it be real estate, um, oh, real automotive, estate exactly. Um, we've seen some police forces buying them. Um, I think it's really, I think that's where it's gonna grow a lot more in the future. One great thing about the new Theta V is it's an Android-based operating system, which is the first time doing that for us. And it allows the opportunity for people to develop plugins. Uh, and the plugin can then be specified to a certain, uh, a certain, um, a certain concept or a certain um, requirement. So as time goes on and plugins are developed, it could be for almost any application. So a lot of times people in the past would say to me, you know, who's this for? Really, I say it's for everybody. They, you know, they just don't know it yet. Yes. Um, it's one of those things where people will find a use for it, and um, and there's things people are you know haven't even thought of yet that it's probably going to be a great device to capture that type of uh, image. Awesome. Where can people find out more information? So the best way to find information uh, is if you go to the Rico Canada Imaging website website at ricoimaging.ca. Or if you were to Google uh, the Rico Theta V, you'd get all kinds of information as well. Or you can head down to London Drugs? Absolutely. Uh, London Drugs has the information and, um, and has it ready to go. 
Cool. Thank you for joining us. All right. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. That's all the time we have left. Don't forget to listen to our app show every Sunday here on the Chorus Radio Network. It's Pacific Standard Time, 10 a.m. here on CKNW. All the latest and greatest apps. What's hot, what's not, what can uh, help you sleep better tomorrow. And uh, we're going to be talking about the Hot 5 Augmented Reality apps. This is Mike Agarbo for Get Connected. We'll see you again next time.